Hello, hello, my name is Clark Heron, a.k.a. The Harry Hobo, and welcome to another edition of A.K.A. Sports here in Season 2. In today's show, we'll be talking a little bit of breaking news of today, talking about some NIL accusations between head coaches of Alabama and Texas A&M. We'll be doing a little bit of a update for the NBA playoffs, especially uh, a particular Game 7 in uh really one that really wasn't much of a game and then just like we mentioned last week we will be going over the NFL schedule highlighting some of the games we're looking forward to as well as maybe some of those teams that just got the raw end of the deal but first we got to welcome in our wonderful co-host the man with the most Mr. Fletch what up man (laughs) how you been it has been good obviously sports continues to just give us headlines day by day at this point know it absolutely but before we dive into that Fletch tell the people where they can find us yes indeed welcome people at home uh where you can find us man find us on find us listen listen to podcasts how I listen to podcasts if you will on the go that's how I listen to my podcast man in the car earbuds whatever airpods whatever it is that you use um find us at anchor.fm slash aka sports that is our home site there you will see that we are on a plethora of platforms check us out on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, any other podcast that you like to use also check out the app good pods we're not the, we're, we're on there as well as a couple other like indie podcasts like ourselves that touch base on a lot of different sports i should have kind of been shouting this out the whole time i apologize to the to the app good pods uh but it's a very dope application there people check that out people if you're interested, also, too, feel free to find us on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash a.k.a. sports FB. Don't forget the FB or just simply search us, man, a.k.a. sports. Same thing on YouTube. That is uh, search bar, a.k.a. sports. You can like, share, subscribe, comment, etc. And finally, feel free to interact with me. I tweet. I retweet. I repost. I, I, I you know, reply, etc. Um, at a.k.a. sports pod. Check us out there. Feel free to argue with me, debate with me, tell you what you might want us to talk about. Nonetheless, Clark, let's actually get us to some hot news, man. Tell, tell me what's going on with Nick Saban. Yeah, it's it's very interesting that this conversation even happened in the first place, but apparently Nick Saban was asked about his thoughts about the NIL or name image likeness for college football. If you're not sure what that is, basically it's uh, players at this point can use their name, image, and or likeness to make some money, either it be signings, jersey sales, what have you. Uh, They can actually make money off of those deals, depending on which state allows it. Um, But he was asked about it and brought up some comments and basically singled out uh, Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M program, basically stating that they buy every single player, and that is why Alabama is not the number one recruiting (laughs) class. Um, and Texas A&M is and has the highest graded recruiting class of all time, which, granted, to his point, Texas A&M hadn't really had anything more than two five-star recruits in a single season in the last five years, and then the NIL deal happens, and now they have seven. Obviously, everyone that watches college football that kind of knows the ins and outs a little bit fully understands before the NIL became a thing... Money was always changing hands. This is nothing new. It was just hidden in the past. Put in, put underneath the desks, five, you know, $100 handshakes, those wonderful birthday gifts that they send in the mail just out of nowhere. 
it happens all the time. The NIL has now made it, you can basically just put it underneath the IL, NIL title, and it's legit. So you're fine. Now, granted, why Nick Saban singled out Texas A&M, I think I would have been fine with it if he just singled them out and said, hey, you bought every player. But then he went on to state, oh, yeah, we don't buy any players. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> Come on now. Right. No one's going to believe that. And then he also went on to actually state that the Travis Hunter, a big-time high school recruit that went, was going to go to Florida State, then flipped to go to Jacksonville or Jackson State, stated that he's getting paid a million dollars by Jackson State to go there as well, which, of course, uh, head coach Deion Sanders blatantly stated that, no, that is that is not the case. At least that's what they're saying anyway. But, Fletch, come on now. Everyone knows that I, this has just got to be, like, a is this a pride thing? I don't know what this is, man. It sounds like a whole bunch of old guys bickering to me. Um, to be honest with you, like, I mean, we kind of talked about it on previous shows. We actually had a whole topic on, you know, the evolution, if you will, of college sports. Uh, We talked about the NIL deal. Everybody's talked about the NIL deal. We've talked about how it's impacted high school players. We've talked about how it's impacted college athletes, collegiate athletes. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's well known at this point how this has come into fruition and how it's uh, played its role in the landscape of, of really amateur sports in general. I don't understand uh, Nick Saban's beef, regardless if this was legal or not legal, who doesn't buy players, uh, to be honest with you. And I hate the term buy players, because to be honest with you, it's almost back to that slave mentality, if you will, of essentially these guys play for me for their tuition, whatever we say goes. And it seems like that's kind of the way, say, for instance, Nick Saban wants to keep it. I don't think he's happy about the NIL deal. I know um, Bryce Young, his quarterback, benefited greatly from the NIL deal and apparently did it, quote unquote, the right way, as Nick Saban like uh, uh, alluded to. Where I think what I think is BS, man, is really calling out Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M saying they bought every player. Like Texas A&M has actually been one of the top recruiting you know, schools and Jimbo Fisher has actually been a great recruiter since he's became a collegiate co- coach before all this NIL stuff, man. So, like, first and foremost, let like let's 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 focus on that first part. Like, Jimbo Fisher's a good recruiter. Let's not get it twisted. It's a reason why wherever he goes, his teams do well because he has good talent and he's a pretty good coach. Um, great coach, great head coordinator, whatever you want to say. Like, I don't know what label you want to throw in that, but he's good at his job. Let's just be let's just be completely frank about that. Um, what it sounds like to me, man, is that there's a little bit of bitterness uh, from Nick Saban about A&M being the number one class. And I don't know what he's heard or what he is, is you know, what he thinks he's heard or, or if he can trust his sources. But apparently he's hearing it some kind of way that these players are somehow, you know, receiving a big payday from A&M, probably A&M's boosters or something like that. I don't know. Where I'm upset with this is, man, is like with NIL in play, there's nothing illegal going on. It's not out of control. This is exactly what it should have been. These individuals are adults. At the age of 18, you become a legal adult. You can essentially do almost anything that you want to do outside of anything that permits you to be 21, like drink or smoke, right? So the the thing is, man, is like just because this NIL thing is, is benefiting 
other teams around college football and not Alabama any longer. I believe that's the reason why he, Nick Saban, said what he said. He later apologized for it, but the damage is done. Um, I believe uh, Jimbo Fisher, A&M's coach, came out and said some people think they're God, obviously referring to Nick Saban. Um, I wouldn't go that far, but it is it does seem like Nick Saban is using his hammer or his power to kind of control this whole narrative behind the NIL um, and try to use his voice is what it feels like to kind of shift the way that things are going with the NIL, possibly trying to convince future recruits that, you know, say, for instance, money isn't everything. You come here to Alabama for the experience when we all know Nick Saban might not be privy to this and not and and honestly we'd be a fool to believe he's not but let's just say he's not i mean let's be real we know boosters are probably paying these guys man to come to alabama we probably and i and i guarantee they probably have for a while man like there's no generations yeah exactly you there's a reason why alabama football is what it is to at this point in state at this point point in present time it's just what it is man not only is it a great organization but let's be real the reason why they are extremely loaded every year is not the opportunity. It's not only the opportunity to go play for the best coach in college football, possibly history, not to go have the, almost a guaranteed, um, uh, guaranteed uh, um, chance in the NFL. Because honestly, most starters at Alabama at least have a shot, whether if they're drafted or undrafted or not. They send multiple guys to the draft every year. I guarantee you, if you look at every NFL draft over the last 10 years, it's probably going to be hard, hard to find a year where less than 10 Alabama players were drafted. Let's just be honest. So nonetheless, man, it's it's, uh, it's a little discouraging that they kind of had to stoop down to these comments to kind of get their point across. Mm-hmm. Um, and quote unquote, Nick Saban saying is completely out of control. I beg to differ. The problem is he doesn't have control any longer. The players do. And that's where I think he has an issue with that. Um, we also alluded to this, Clark, when Jay Wright stepped down. I believe that had a little bit to do with him, one, being a little older and being maybe tired of, uh, of what he was doing. Um, but also, too, I think the NIL played a role in it because, honestly, we all kind of saw it as somewhat abrupt. Like, we didn't expect Jay Wright to retire, especially when we watch guys like Roy Williams and Coach K, uh, just in, as an example, coach, you know, well into their latter years of actually – latter years of life, let alone coaching. So – um, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm kind of, uh, I don't agree with anything Nick Saban said. Um, I think he's bitter. I think he's upset. Um, you know, I, I think that's honestly the reason why. And to be honest with you, Clark, I almost hope A&M whoops their ass this year, just because I really do. Um, I don't think it'll happen, but I, that's just something I, at this point, I hope it does happen, man. I, I don't know if it's like. Jimbo said a God complex or he needs to be humbled and this is that and the other, but I would love to see it at this point because I just, I think he's a little out of line. No one's doing anything illegal. That's my thing. So why are we complaining? You have the same resources, the same tools, the same rules that everybody else has. You have the same opportunity to get a lot of these top recruits. That's the reason why you're a title contender every single season. Why you bring home one of the top recruiting classes every single season. You benefit from just being Alabama. Guarantee guys are still going to want to play there. It's not like it's not the end of the end of the world that these players now have control and these other teams are now starting to benefit a little bit from it. Parity's good for the sport. We know that. So, you know, nonetheless, man, that's my two cents on it. Um, a little long winded on that one, but I'm I'm I just I'm I'm kind of upset with that whole the way that is all going. 
um, just a lot of bickering for no reason, a lot of complaining for no reason. And I don't blame Jimbo Fisher for being pissed off at Nick Saban. Yeah, the the targeting and calling out of a single team or a single coach, it's actually in the bylaws of the SEC. So um, they're getting reprimanded. Both of them will. Um, as to if there's any actual fines out of this, I don't think so. Uh, Greg Sankey definitely made a comment about stating how disappointed he is in the same situ- in this situation as well. Um, obviously, he is looking forward to trying. Basically, his thing from the very get-go when he became the SEC commissioner was when we're on the field, we can be bitter enemies all day long. That doesn't matter. When we're off the field, we are together as a team to try and figure out how to make this basically as profitable as possible. Um, he won't say profitable. He'll say, you know, to really enhance the sport as much as he can. But... At the end of the day, it's it's all about profits. That's the whole point. So, as for Saban, yeah, I don't like him calling people out. Could have done it in a different way. Obviously, to your point, like you may not agree with, is that Nick Saban now, there are going to be some recruits that will choose the money over the situation. And honestly, if I'm Nick Saban, I don't think, I, I don't think he's actually recruiting those type of players anyway. I mean, I wouldn't think so. You would want players that come in, hey, I don't want the money. I just want to come in and work hard. If I can make some money, great. But I want to come in, work hard, and make something great of my career. Whereas you start finding recruits that are, you know, basically trying to make a bidding war between two organizations or two teams. I don't, I mean, obviously there's going to be coaches that are all for that. It just kind of surprises me that Nick Saban would publicly address the situation as if, Like, okay, there was a top recruit. We lost him because we didn't bid enough money compared to Texas Mm -hmm. A&M. But, yeah, for Texas A&M, yeah, they're the most valuable college uh, franchise or college institution. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of backers. And, yeah, that money is basically endless. And they will spend every single dime of it to make sure that they put together a championship team, which hasn't really panned out. We'll see. Obviously... We'll have to the nev, the very next step in all of this. Obviously, the NCAA did come out and state, you know, we'll, we'll if you do something incorrect, we might reprimand you, but they're not really going to do anything. We all know this, or take six thousand years to do it. So, really, at this point, uh, we are getting very, very, very close to college football separating itself from the NCAA, and you're going to see basically. Basically, kind of like the USFL, just, uh, you know, more amateurish. Not really amateurish. They're going to get paid for it. But, yeah, it's going to be its own its own entity uh, right. in, in the near future, at least in my opinion. So, yeah, the comments were dumb. Everybody on this planet that understands college football knows that the billions of dollars sitting out there, there's a lot of it that has been moving for generations, either legally or illegally. And I think at this point, now that the NIL is out there, some of these coaches that may have wanted to say something, but again, they're not, you know, they're not absolved of this situation. You know they're spending as well. So, I mean, I don't know how far you really want to go down this road because eventually somebody's going to start knocking on your door. Yeah, I mean, they need to separate from the NCAA, make their own league, and be done with it. And then you can do whatever you want at that point. And basically, it's kind of like how the NBA made a G League. That's what this will be. 
Uh, it will just be, I don't know how many teams will be in it, but... Um, yeah, it was just breaking news this afternoon that happened. Obviously, you can read about it, but at this point, it's just like you said. This couple of old people arguing back and forth, trying yeah, to make their man. point about stuff. Nothing really too crazy, but we'll keep an eye on it. Rivals, right? They're both in the West, uh, SEC West. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that also adds a little bit of fuel to the fire. If this was maybe a different conference or a different coach, maybe not. But, I mean, who's to say? I don't know. Nick Saban also mentioned, uh, like you said, Jackson State as well, which I think was a, you know, excuse me. I was about to use another, uh, I was about to drop another explicitive, man. But uh, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just not, it's not right, to say the least, to call out that whole situation. Regardless of how the kid decided to go there or not, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's been a fuck, especially with the with the focus on um, HBCUs as of lately with football and basketball uh, collegiately. Like, you know, that it was ba- it's bound to happen where you start seeing more kids go to these schools. Um, even before NIL, there was a basketball player that decided to go to HBCU versus going to, um, you know, a big Division One traditional school, if you will. Um, this was two, three years ago at this point. So. It, it was it was starting to happen anyway with the HBCU landscape. Uh, the NIL honestly may very well help it a little bit. But let's be honest, if I if I was a big time school, I could probably outbid any HBCU out in, out there in the country, man. So, Easy, yeah. You know, so the fact that they got this recruit and you know Nick Saban says something about it, it's like, yo, pump the brakes, man. Like, like let's not act like you don't get all the top recruits every year like you don't send more talent to the nfl than any other any other team like you don't win more you win more championships than pretty much everyone else like you know what i'm saying like what what are you really bickering about man yeah that you're not going to be the undisputed number one college team any longer like you're going to have some company you're scared of competition nick like that's what that's what it sounds like to be honest with you clark it sounds like he's running from the competition. Like he's nervous about what's about to happen next. Uh, what team is going to come up and take them off the throne? And and you know what I'm saying? Like you know. And then especially like you said, kind of the way college football is going, whether they separate from the NCAA or not, it it, very, it is going into more of a a semi pro kind of vibe. Um, re, again, and I don't know. I'm like you. I don't. I'm I'm leaning on the fence where they probably will separate from the NCAA. Part of me depend. Part of me believes it just depends on who's the new president as well we mentioned that when uh we heard about emirates stepping down um so that's that's also something that's on the you know that that could possibly happen as well if you get a forward-thinking ncaa president maybe he makes it to the point where it's actually like okay to keep these guys in ncaa and keep keep everybody happy at the same time i believe there's a way uh, but you got to have somebody that has the that has the mind and the vision to do so and then can actually have others back him um, is also the key. So we'll we'll see what happens next with that. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's. Uh, I'll be honest, it's really annoying. It's really annoying. I just feel like he's he's nervous about new competition coming up. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously something else. I'm either just mad about the NIL, mad about a specific situation they didn't win, and then I I don't know. It's it's hard to say at this point. We'll see if any more information comes along. Um, especially if they do any type of investigations through the NCAA, which, I mean, five years from now, we might remember this conversation. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it for now. Um, speaking of basketball, we had a couple of uh, Game 7s not too long ago. Um, one was 
somewhat okay. The other one, what, what happened? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there. Um, so I'll mention, I'll, we'll talk about the first game first. I know since the last show, I believe these were these two games have were played after the fact. Uh, we had Game Seven of Boston and Milwaukee to see who was going to face Miami uh, in the conference finals. And we'll start with this game. Uh, Boston did come out on top with a, a big flurry in the fourth quarter to take a take a good lead on uh, Milwaukee and, and and put the game away. Um, it wasn't necessarily a nail biter, but it was something to kind of the, the starters had to make see the game all the way through to the end and make sure that they got the W. Uh, kudos to Boston uh, for taking down Milwaukee, the defending champs. Um, they were shorthanded this year with the with Chris Middleton not being able to play uh, since I believe like Game Four, or Game Five in the in the first round. So I, I know that hurt them quite a bit. That's their second best player, second leading scorer on the team. Um, their closer to be honest with you if, if for those that watched the finals last year we saw him become the closer really throughout the entire playoffs running a beautiful pick and roll with Giannis uh throughout the throughout the uh, NBA finals uh to kind of help them out a bit and not having that and having to rely on Drew Holiday uh to kind of take more of a scoring role uh versus being a, a point guard and the primary defender along with other guys having to step up. So, you know, value, valiant effort of them to push it to seven. That just tells me if they had Middleton, you might be seeing them in the in the, in the conference finals versus Boston. But nonetheless, you got to beat who's in front of you. And again, kudos to Boston there for that. Um, also, kudos to Jason Tatum. Um, I'm going to give him a little bit of a shout out. Just due to the fact, man, like we've seen this kid come into the league and he's always had like a lot of high expectations and he's now living up to those. I know he's been in the playoffs quite a bit as a youngster, but um, as far as really taking over and being that best player on the team and probably one of the top 10 players in the league at this point, you know, um, really showed us why he is that. Uh, so that was uh, something to take home from that series. And then Clark, you know, we'll, 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 we'll kind of we'll move into the West and talk about that uh, – that game, that uh, lack of a game that you were referring to, uh, the dragging, if you will, of the uh, Phoenix Suns by the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. So, uh, honestly, man, it was a combination of that series to me in general, and especially Game Seven was a. Especially, we'll talk about Game Seven. It was a combination of Dallas and Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd, the head coach of Dallas, making adjustments to basically just work the hell out of Chris Paul and wear him down. He had probably the worst playoff run or stretch I've ever seen him have. Uh, I've seen almost any superstar have, really. Um, last five games of that series, I believe he averaged some, somewhere in the long lines of like 10 points and five or six assists, along with a plethora of turnovers, uh, which was very un-Chris Paul-like. We, 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 we've known him to be clutch in some situations. We've also known him to come up short in a few playoff situations as well, but not like this. Normally it's like, you know, he went down shooting or, you know, they just had a bad game or whatever the case might be, but we've never seen him literally just melt under the lights uh, like he did in this series. Um, Devin Booker played pretty well throughout the series, but both played terrible in game seven. The entire Phoenix team shot terribly in game seven, which is part of the reason for the blowout. And then I got a few numbers here for you, man. Uh, Specifically, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, Bertans, Kleber, both stretch centers, um, Reggie Bullock, and Finney Smith. 
all shot from the three-point line over 45% for that series. I don't know if you'll see that again. That is absolutely absurd for five players to do that. So uh, that was partially the reason why they won. So, yeah, that was uh, – I, I, and, and also, too, just Luka and then also Dinwiddie really showing up in that game seven. There's really not much to say about it. I really believe if Phoenix had a good – had a decent game that game that you might see – I don't know if you'll see the them win that series, but I think you see a way better game seven. But it was literally one team playing lights out, shooting the ball extremely well, while the other team um, just didn't really show up and come to play and couldn't hit shots. Um, that was really it. And it's really hard to it's hard to analyze it because that's essentially when one team isn't making any shots and the other team's making every shot. That's kind of what you get. And that's really what it was. I don't know. if I don't think the game's ever had anything to do with game plan or anything like that. I really just think it was one team making one team missing, plain and simple. Yeah, it's one of those games where most coaches, if it was during the regular season. Yeah, we're not even going to watch the tape on this because there's nothing to do. Let's just focus in on the next opponent. Unfortunately, it just happened to be in Game 7, a decider for the series. So, yet another mark against uh, uh, Chris Paul at this point. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's he's quick. If, if something doesn't happen quickly for him, he will be joining uh, the very... It's a great list to be on. Unfortunately, it, it's just a list of great players that have played the game that just don't have rings. Um, so he may be joining that list, but yeah, I mean, that game was over first quarter, maybe half of the first quarter. Oh, dude. I mean, halftime, Luca had 27 and the Suns had 27. So it was, it was over probably like you said, I, 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 the first quarter, I did watch the first quarter. I watched the first half and then I was done, but, um, that didn't really blow up until midway through the second. Cause let's be real. A 15 point lead in the NBA is nothing. Nowadays, I've seen more 15-point run streaks than I have had in really in history. Um, more than I mean, I think I've seen more this year than almost ever. So it's it's just the way the NBA is going, man. These teams score so fast. They shoot from three very well, and that's just the way it is. But once it got to the point where it was like high 20s, I'm like, yeah, I think this one's over. <laughs> and uh it was uh yeah it was more than over at that point I, I don't I know at one point they were almost down 50 I remember at one point I saw the score at a hundred to 56 and I was like wow didn't think I would ever see that especially not from a team that just won the conference last year and had the most wins in the NBA by almost eight by over eight games that that was absurd to see um haven't really seen the team melt down like that other than maybe the one seed losing to the eight seed a couple times that I've seen. But you know that was that was something that was something to see. Uh, nonetheless, speaking of uh, runs, if you will, Clark, let's go ahead and just slide over into the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals really quick. So we got Miami versus Boston, with Miami having home court advantage. Um, this is the one versus the two seed. So we got chalk out East. Um, this is actually a very interesting matchup, Clark. Just to kind of break this down very quickly. Essentially, you have two. Uh, alphas on each team with Jimmy Butler in Miami and Jason Tatum uh, in Boston. And then you also have a, a plethora of like complimentary players, uh, secondary all-stars, if you will, with like Bam Adebayo for Miami and Jalen Brown. 
uh, for the Celtics. What the Celtics were missing here in game one, unfortunately, was Marcus Smart and Al Horford. Al Horford, due to COVID protocol, he'll be back in the lineup to, uh, tonight here Thursday night as we're recording the show. And Marcus Smart had a sprained foot that he suffered in game seven of the conference fi- conference semifinals. So I don't know if he'll be back tonight or not. That has not been announced. Uh, but it is uh, something that uh, definitely hurt them in that game one. Miami took it home. First half was great. It was a close contested game. Both Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler had it going. And then in the second half, man, Jimmy Butler just got the best out of everybody. He got the best of everybody. Jason Tatum included. Ended the game with a, with a uh, very, very, very impressive stat line. Just to pull this up, Clark, to let you know what he was able to do game one. Uh, Jimmy Butler had 49, 41 points, nine rebounds, five assists, four steals, and three blocks. He is the first player in the NBA playoffs history to reach those numbers since steals and blocks were first recorded in 1974. That's pretty impressive. <sighs> Very impressive. Playoff Jimmy Butler is a different animal than regular season Jimmy Butler. His, his average is actually up from 21 points a game in the regular season to almost 30. He's shooting nearly 36 to 37% from three and only shot 28 in the regular season. Jimmy Butler just shows up when the lights are the brightest. He showed us that two years ago when they got to the the, the finals in the bubble and he put a 40-point game on the Lakers along with another 30-point triple-double and actually was able to take two games from them in those two games that he did put those numbers up. So uh, Miami is, is poised to, I believe, you know, make a big run at this. I believe currently they have the best coach in basketball in Eric Spolstra. I uh, strongly believe that um, Steve Kerr um, also is one of those to mention in that category as well on the Western side of things. But Clark, really quick, man, um, like I, I know during playoff time, I know you kind of lock in a little bit more and watch some. Um, I'm not like you said, more of a casual basketball fan, but I know, you know, these teams at least pretty well, especially just from our shows and also from the fact that they've been on TV a crap ton over the last month. But <laughs> what 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 are you how did, how are you feeling? And I guess who who would you pick today coming out of this series? My right now it's one zero as we're as we're recording the show. It'll be two oh or one one as of tomorrow when this is released. But nonetheless, it's early. Anything could happen. All Miami did was uh protect home court in game one. What what are you what how are you feeling, man? What do you what are you thinking? Who comes out of this series? Uh, really between the two, the biggest problem with the Celtics right now is just staying healthy. Um, they've had a couple of their star players not being able to play in Game 1. They may get a couple back, but that seven-game series against... Uh, who was they against again? Um, uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yeah. Um, against the Bucks, it's draining. No matter what seven-game series you play against, it's going to be draining. Um, so for me, I'm going to gonna head towards Miami, and like you said, Jay Butler just knows what needs to be done. He has that mindset. So I've got the Heat winning this one. It might be in five games. It might be in six games. I don't think they get the sweep because I think Jason Tatum also knows what needs to be done because he was phenomenal in several of those games in the last series. So I'll give me Miami at this point. And basically it's because, you know, the Celtics just aren't fully healthy right now. And that grueling seven-game series against the Bucks just might have been too much for them. Yeah, I'm with you there. I agree. I have actually Miami at six on this one. I do think Boston uh, at least wins one at home, if not both games, three and four at home, once it gets back to their place. Um, I think Miami wins these first two. Obviously, they won the first one already, So, uh, but I think they win game two as well. When this airs tomorrow, obviously, we'll kind of see where things fall, but... 
Um, you know, that's what I'm expecting, at least. That's what I can kind of see happen. To be honest, it's not far-fetched to see Boston win this series, though I will say that, but because they do have they do have the tools to do so. I, I'll give them that. Maybe they're one piece away from really making another step as a great team, but as currently constructed, man, they're pretty damn solid. So um, with Miami, though, man, I, I the, the, the thing with them is – Lowry hasn't really played much in these playoffs due to a hammy, but um, having him there always helps. Outside of that, they're rolling with an undrafted backcourt and Gabe Vincent and Max Struss, who both play quality minutes. They can knock down shots. They they both can get to the rim. Max Struss is pretty athletic uh, as well, Uh, knockdown shooter. And then you have Bam Adebayo. The biggest thing for me, though, man, is P.J. Tucker. And I saw how much he was missed in the Milwaukee series. And I see how valuable he is now in Miami. Um, one thing to mention, bro, got to pay these guys. All he wanted was two for 15 in Milwaukee, man, and they didn't bring him back. So that's what Miami paid him. It was seven, seven and a half million dollars a year. It's not like mind blowing in the slightest, especially when like these young guys are getting 15, 20, 25 million dollar contracts like it's nothing. So I was surprised that they did not resign him, and that I can tell that definitely hurt them and helped Miami a ton. So I'm gonna leave the Eastern Conference at that. I'm, I'm I think this will be a highly contested series. I think you'll see a lot of close games. Um, and like I said, speaking of runs, the reason why Miami won was the third quarter. They started the third quarter off 22 to two, Clark, and that was the only quarter they won. But they won that quarter 39 to 14. That was the story. Um, hard to rebound from a 25 point dragging in the third. Uh, very hard to rebound from that. Yeah. And, Clark, that's what kind of segues into the Western Conference Finals. Another phenomenal third, court, third quarter performance by the Golden State Warriors. Had them win that game as well. That game was fairly back and forth throughout the first half, and then the third quarter happened. And just like Jason Tatum had a quiet turnover field second half, so did Luka Doncic um, at the expense of Andrew Wiggins this time. Uh, playing great defense, uh, making it tough for him, making it making him struggle. Obviously, you have Draymond, you have Kuminga, you have Clay Thompson. They have bodies to throw at Luka. And the thing, unlike Boston, uh, where they have a lot of guys that can step up, for instance, when Tatum was struggling, Jalen Brown stepped up uh, late in the third into the fourth quarter of that last game to bring it back to within 10 late in the fourth. Um, on the flip side, though, I don't know if Dallas has enough guys around Luka that can take the pressure off him, as well as Jalen Brunson has played um, this postseason, as well as their, uh, uh, Finney Smith has shot this postseason, as well as Dinwiddie played in Game 7, dropping a 30-piece uh, in that game as well. It's, it's To me, they just don't have that guy that's good enough to continually like put it on, you know, put it on Golden State to keep them close. Uh, I, I have a feeling this one might actually be over in five, and you know, after last night's game one, you know, we kind of saw why no one over Golden State had more than 21 points. They didn't need it. They just didn't need it. Um, they had like five double fidget, the double five or six double figure scores. And, you know, everybody they shared the ball very well. They shot very well. They played defense great. And that was really the story of the game. And that game was one of those that was over sometime, you know, towards the end of the third quarter as well. Uh, so another, it's very interesting seeing Dallas this far. I love what Luka's done. Shout out to Luka. I believe he's like a top five player in the league right now. He's that good to me, but I just don't know if that's enough. Yeah, at this point, I'm not betting against Golden State. They are in a groove. They know how to win championships. Steph Curry is still Steph Curry. 
Um, and like you stated with Dallas, it's not so much against Dallas. It's just the fact that uh, without Luka, there's not much else there to compete with a healthy, good Golden State team. So I would not shock me if this was a sweep or in five, but uh, it made it significantly easier with the Suns being knocked out. Golden State said, thank you. We will go ahead and win this series, and then we'll wait for either the the Heat or the Celtics in the finals. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. And honestly, what I would love to see, Clark, and before we kind of move into the big topic of today, I would love, love, love to see Miami versus Gold State in the finals right now, man. I really would. My my preference at the beginning of the se- beginning of the playoffs was actually Miami and uh, Phoenix. I would have also liked to see like a Golden State my Milwaukee matchup. That would have been fun. Uh, but I think right now my my best option for a fun field, highly contested series with some high level players and some very strong minded competitors. I'm going Miami and Golden State with this one, man. At this point, I, I really can't tell you who who my favorite is between the two, but I do have favor them to win their series currently. So, and this is even before Game One. I I, I uh, got text messages to prove it if people need it at home. But Miami in six and Golden State in five is what I'm leaning to. Is what I what I'm guessing uh, or predicting, if you will. Um, I'm not a not a genie here, but if I had to guess, that's my pick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we'll continue to see how this the series goes on, obviously, with the Celtics, especially after a grueling seven-game series, uh, and then to see if Luka can find some help along the way to maybe make that series a little bit more contestable. But I like the idea of the Heat versus Golden State, and I love that matchup. And speaking of matchups, the NFL uh, season and the schedule was released last Thursday. Oh, yes. Uh, we were kind of in the middle of a podcast when it was being released for the first time. Um, <laughs> so we we're going to talk about it here today. And there's no, not really a better way to start off the season than a Thursday night kickoff game in L.A. where the Rams get their Super Bowl rings against Josh Allen and the Bills. So we get to see Von Miller get his ring as a Buffalo Bill in the very first game of the season, which, whew, should be... A, quite a great game probably the best Thursday night game of the entire year that's typically how it goes because once you get in the season those Thursday night games struggle for the most part uh, but we have both looked through the schedule Fletch what are some uh, a couple of games that you're most looking forward to yeah man um I mean obviously the first game of the season is is a it's a standout just because just because of how great both of these teams are I mean with the um the, the Rams are the, are the defending champs at this point, bringing back most of their team. Um, and then on the flip side, you have the Buffalo Bills, who right now on paper seem like the best team in the AFC. I really like this matchup. I like that it kicks off the season. Uh, obviously, a Super, Bowl can, a Super Bowl champion normally kicks off the season anyways versus a good team. But I really like the, the pick with the Bills this year. So, I mean, obviously, that's going to be my first pick. Um you know, just kind of open in the season. What is also a very unique week one matchup is actually Russell Wilson going back home on Monday night uh, to play uh, with the Broncos going to Seattle and playing and playing his former team that he was drafted by and played for for all these years. Uh, that's something to see. I don't know what to make out of Seattle's team now with obviously Drew Locke at quarterback. Um, 
I went through Drew Locke as, as my quarterback as being a Brocco fan. So, you know, I don't know what to make out of that, really. But at the same time, I don't know how much of a game I'm really expecting. But that is a matchup that I'm that I'm kind of curious about um, just to kind of start off on the cusp of things. There's been a few announced that I've actually like really, really uh, thought were kind of cool. Uh, for instance, Broncos Rams on Christmas which is actually going to be also on Nickelodeon, which is kind of dope. I don't know if anybody's watched any of those Nickelodeon tip, uh, uh, telecasts, if you got kids or not, but it's kind of cool for kids. They got the slime and everything on the screen, and they do a very good job dumbing it down for the kids so that way they understand the game a little bit more, get these guys involved some, and uh, I really like that side of things, so that's going to be interesting to see. Um, really, man, along, uh, outside of that, uh, I believe there is a – a Bucks Chiefs matchup this year. Um, there's also, if I'm not mistaken, ah, let me double check here. I want to say there's a, there, I don't know how traditional I guess you could say this is, but I know there's the Cowboys Packers game. I believe this year is is, is something to watch. Um, man, that those are the some of the few that are really like on the top of my radar. Clark, what other games are you uh, are you seeing as well? Well, we have to be. We would be remiss if we didn't mention the Week Two matchup, Mister, the Fighting Herberts versus Mister Mahomes in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, uh, two phenomenal quarterbacks. Obviously, one team improved over the off season in the Chargers. The other one uh, traded away their top receiving target. So, the really the biggest question heading into the season for Kansas City is going to be. Beyond Travis Kelsey, who's going to get targets? Is it Juju? Is it MVS? Uh, is it, I think they drafted Sky Moore. Mm-hmm. They've got multiple options. And again, without Tyreek Hill there, who's going to step up beyond Travis Kelsey? But knowing the style of offense, Andy Reid's going to have them ready for a very, should be a very high scoring week two matchup. Um, you can also look at week 17, which honestly, in this situation for this year, I don't Uh-oh. think the Bills are going to have too big of an issue, but they're going to Cincinnati in week 17, which could mean huge. It could be a big-time game, especially for the playoff hopes for the Bengals, depending on how, how that division breaks out. Because we all know that the AFC North is very, very competitive. And this game is just full, full of fantasy goodness. And, and in Week 17, that is, for most people, their championship game. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be huge type of points that will be thrown out there. It's a Monday night game, right? Um, yeah, it is a night game as well. Um, and then one other game. I mean, there's multiple good games that are out there. <laughs> right. Another good game that uh, you could be looking at would be in week 14, the Buccaneers at the 49ers, which obviously it's long known that Tom Brady grew up to be a 49ers fan. So mm-hmm. going back out there, who's the quarterback for the Niners at this point? Is it going to be Trey Lance? Is it going to be Jimmy G? So could we see a... Tom Brady versus Jimmy G matchup? True. Maybe. We could very well see. And like to uh, your point with the Cowboys and Packers would be the first time that Mike McCarthy is coaching against his former team. So a lot of headlines there. The one thing I did notice from this new schedule release is that I feel very, oh, so very sorry for the New York Jets. Um, if you have not taken a look at their schedule, let's just run through the first nine weeks and I'll run through the first nine weeks and you tell me what their projected record will be 
through nine weeks, okay? Fair enough. First week, Baltimore Ravens. Mm. Second week, Cleveland Browns. Mm. Third week, Cincinnati Bengals. Oh. <laughs> Fourth week, Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. They're just going to schedule the first entire AFC North to start the season. Yeah, it's pretty tough. <laughs> good, good. First division rival, week five, the Dolphins. Then week six at Green Bay. Week seven at Denver. Mm. Week eight back home against the Patriots and week nine against the Bills before a much-needed week 10 mercy bye week before having to face the Patriots again the following week. Okay. That's a a lot to unpack. Um now, I will say this. The Jets are currently rated. They have the, tw- the 17th hardest schedule. And this is based on winning percentage last year. This is obviously not including this year and projections and what we think and you know, where we think these guys are going to be. Right. So, for instance, the Browns underachieved. Um, obviously, we talked about the Steelers and the Ravens and, and the Bengals. They all just played that division. They just played good football. Uh, they're in one of the toughest divisions in, in football because you have the possible on paper AFC champs at this point uh, with the with the Bills. You also have the Pats who made the playoffs last year and you expect Mac Jones to take another step and then you also have the Dol- the Dolphins who just got acquired Tyreek Hill and they've been one game out of the playoffs the last two seasons. Um, man, that is tough, man. If I had to guess what their record would be after the first nine games going into that bye week, week 10, I'd give them one. And that's the Browns, only because I think Watson is still gonna be, is going to be suspended during that time. That's exactly my thought process. As well, is trying to find any win. The Browns being the only one for that same purpose of Deshaun Watson may be suspended, according to a couple different unconfirmed sources. They are going to be looking at suspending him, but for how many games? It's very unclear at this point. My guess is, if the civil lawsuits continue, uh, you could be looking at. I would say anywhere between two to six games, maybe more. It's hard to say, but yeah, for the Jets, I am so sorry that you may have one win heading into week 10 and and then yet another loss at New England in week 11, which is late November. And last time I checked, New England late November is typically cold. Mm-hmm. Not going to be fun. Granted... Later on in their schedule, they finally get a little bit of reprieve. In weeks 15 and 16, they face the Lions and the Jaguars, and then the Seahawks in week 17. So there's three weeks, three winnable weeks. But, ugh. <laughs> um, at least you'll have the number one pick in next year's draft. I will say oh, that. God. They, yeah, they, <laughs> might, they might be right back there next year, man, or close to the top like they were this year, too. It's just... I don't know, man. I mean, I, I honestly, to keep it real with you, though, uh, just overall, I know they got a kind of a strong, uh, a tough opening to the schedule. Um, I haven't really, I mean, I, we could pull it up now. I haven't really, like, looked at exactly, you know, what we're looking at as far as, you know, who they play uh, this year. So, uh, outside of those first, what would you say, 10, you went into 10 games there. I know you said they come back, and I think the Bills, they play again week 11. And Patriots. Um, Patriots. Okay, let me let me let me. I mean, let's just pull this up real quick. Unfortunately, man, like it just is what it is. Like you know, I know some teams, some bad teams normally get like a, a easier draw, 
and sometimes you just don't. One thing I will say is that I guess they do have the luxury of playing the NFC North because outside the Packers, I don't really put any stock in anybody in the NFC North this year. So they do have the Bears, the Vikings, then they have the Bills week 14, and then the Lions again week 15, Jags week 16, Seahawks week 17. So, I mean, they, they have the luxury of playing, you know, a softer schedule at the back end. So, I mean, if they can get lucky and maybe win a couple of these games to open the season, like a Cleveland week two minus Deshaun Watson, a Pittsburgh team that, you know, we don't know who's going to be starting at quarterback. Dolphins maybe just for the simple fact that we just don't know how good Tua can be from game to game, um, you know. So, I mean, those are the ones. And then maybe a pass because, I mean, at the end of the day, the Patriots are still fairly a young team. Um, they really don't have a lot of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. And you got a very young quarterback. So that's another, I don't know, possible win that they can have there. I mean, if they can win about three out of those first nine to ten games, you know, I'm not saying they make the playoffs, but they have a respectable season, I think. Uh, so we'll see. But I, I really like the coach. Um, I actually ha- uh, think Zach Wilson won't be terrible this year necessarily. I think he takes another step. Um, he also got some help in the draft. So, you know, who, who's to say they might get it together? I think they'll be a well-coached team, kind of similar to the Lions last year. Struggled. Lost a lot of games, but they lost a lot of games due to not playing. They weren't. They weren't. It wasn't that they weren't trying. It was because they just didn't have any talent. I mean, their best player for crying out loud might be T.J. Hawkinson last year. So um, that that's no knock on him. He's probably one of the better tight ends in the league. But the fact that a tight end is the best player on your team says a lot about your team. Um, so, right. uh, granted, that's 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 uh, that kind of sucks for them. But yeah, tough tough draw they got. We'll see what happens with them next. Clark, man, I actually want to – want to we'll keep going on this trend that we're doing. I kind of want to talk about another team schedule, if you will. And I'm actually going to go close to the top on this. This was, I guess you're supposed to have this if you're winning the Super Bowl. Let's talk about the Rams, man. They are facing the highest winning percentage of any team from the, from the teams last year coming into the league this year or coming into the season this year. Winning percentage that they're playing against is uh, – winning percentage is what we're looking at, which is tops by over 2%. Um, Let's just have a quick gander at their schedule. Obviously, we know their division is fairly tough already. And the reason why I want to bring them up is because, let's be real, man. I'm going to say they bought a championship, but they bought the players you needed to win one, damn it. So here we are. They have very similar aspirations. They lost Von Miller. Uh, They did get... uh, Oh, what is my guy's name? Allen Robinson. They did get Allen Robinson in free agency this year. They did lose Robert Woods, but he was hurt during the playoffs last year. He actually got hurt the week that they tra- traded for Odell Beckham. We don't know if Odell will be back. We don't know what Odell will, what team he'll play for. We know he has to recover. Uh, nonetheless, Clark, I'm going to go through their schedule very quickly here. I'm going to start week, week, week one and go forward. I'll let you know when the bye week pops up. Um, let me know what you think, man. Week one, we talked about this. This is the opening game. At home, Buffalo Bills. Week two, the Atlanta Falcons. Week three, Arizona Cardinals. San Francisco 49ers. The Dallas Cowboys. The Carolina Panthers. Again, the 49ers. That's two 49er games by week eight, by the way. Um, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Tampa Bay week nine. Arizona at New Orleans at Kansas City. At home against Seattle and, and the, the the Vegas Raiders back to back, at Green Bay versus Denver again. This is that Christmas game, um, and then at at the Chargers and at the Seahawks to finish the season. Clark, number one question 
quick answer for me. I think it's pretty obvious that they'll make the playoffs. Will this team win the division next year? I mean, at this point, I mean, the Seahawks have pretty much fallen out of it. I don't see them contesting for that division. Uh, the Cardinals are still kind of up in the air because we don't know with Kyler Murray if he's actually going to play or hold out for the entire season. Um, even so, I think they would be able to handle the Cardinals, at least take one of one, you know, home or home or away game, whatever. The Niners is really the biggest question. And obviously, being a Niners fan, the biggest question has always been health of the running backs. They always have 600 of them, and they use 601. So uh, they're going to have to be competitive. Obviously, Nick Bosa and that defense has to stay healthy as well. I think they are lined up to yet again win that division. But if there was another team that could vie for it, it would be the Niners at this point. I'd agree with that. I think they do win the division. The only thing about the the, the only thing that may stop them, and they still might, they still probably are going to be the best team in the division if they win it or not would really be the regular season regular season success of the Cardinals. Only issue is the Cardinals had the second hardest schedule in the league. So um, they had a lot of regular season, regular season success last year and got caught late in the season uh, for the division title. So I, I, I would say maybe regular season-wise, you might see the Niners or the Cardinals put together a great res- a great season and squeak out that division. Um, I don't think they're, they – I don't even think that considers them being the best team. I still think it would be the Rams barring injury. Uh, but I think they may still be able to win enough games to at least contend for the division uh, in general. So uh, next question really quick. How do we feel about the Rams going back to the Super Bowl? I mean, the, the talent's still there. I mean, you still have Matthew Stafford last time I checked. You still have his best friend at breakfast, Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, as, and then you still have some guy named Aaron Donald, Don Donald, <laughs> something like that. I'm, I'll have to ask my friend Urban to see if he's known about him before or not. But the, the team's still there, and they added Allen Robinson. Uh, Odo Beckham's still kind of hanging out there. He's not assigned yet, but they don't really need him back. Um, Robert Woods is gone. So as long as they still have Cooper Cup in that offense, and they're going to have Cam Akers back, they're going to have Daryl Henderson back healthy, the defense is still very, very good. They're going to be up there as one of the very few teams that has a very strong contention to make in the Super Bowl in the NFC. Um, obviously, there's going to be other teams that vie for it. The, the downside of their schedule is that they have to face three of the four AFC West teams uh, starting in December 8th. You know, in three of the four weeks, we have to face three of those teams, which every single one of those teams in the AFC West can be very, very, very good this year. So that could be a little bit of a downside there, but beyond that, I mean, Packers don't have uh, Devontae Adams anymore, so I'm not really concerned about them. Again, it comes down to the Niners being healthy. That's really been their Achilles heel here recently, but even though they lost to him six straight times, they still ended up beating them in the playoffs and going on to win the Super Bowl. Um, it, the biggest, I think the biggest question for them is not so much an NFC opponent. It's going to be what happens in the AFC. Is there a team that's going to come out and just take care of business from top to bottom? Or is it going to be a similar situation that we see in very competitive divisions where they just beat up on one another? Right, right. It's, I guess to, to before we move over to the AFC, because I know we at, at this point we kind of have an idea. We know the AFC is a much deeper conference at this point. They have more good teams, um, just to be frank. With the NFC, though, what other team could challenge them for the throne? 
I mean, you still got to throw the Buccaneers in there because of Tom Brady. Okay. That one's pretty easy. Uh, the 49ers have shown that they can beat them in, definitely in the regular season. Um, again, it will come down to the health of the Niners as well as the quarterback play, depending on if Lance takes a step forward to be the starter or if they have to uh, continue to use Jimmy G um, as well. Um, really beyond that, I don't see anybody else in the NFC South. I don't see anybody in the NFC North really having a, a good push. Um, the NFC East is laughable, so we're not going to worry about them. So it's really going to come down to the 49ers, the Buccaneers, and then if you really want just a wild card team to throw out there in case they just catch fire somewhere along the lines. I mean, interestingly enough, I would probably put the Eagles into that col- into that column. Mm-hmm. And okay. it is a very bold statement because we know what we saw with Jalen Hurts last year, but they did add A.J. Brown in the offseason. If Jalen Hurts can continue to progress as a good passer, we know his running ability, great for fantasy floors. The team could come together, win a very winnable division in the NFC East, and if they get hot at the right time, especially if the Rams are a number one seed, which we all know is being a number one seed in the playoffs doesn't really mean you're going to make it to the Super Bowl. Typically, you lose. So things could play out for the Eagles. They have some things set up. They play good football. They just need consistency at the quarterback position. And if they get that, who knows? I like it. I like it. Um, there is one team, before, you know, before we move to the AFC, there's one team that I'm I'm curious about, man. I really, really am. And that is new. new uh, excuse me, the New Orleans Saints. Um, if we remember last year, at, at mo- most of the season, I believe they had pretty much the best defense in football. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. And then they were in playoff contention when Jameis Winston was healthy. Is that also fair to say? Yes. Okay. I take these. I, the reason why I bring these two things up is because if we take them at full health last year. And when I say full health in the NFL, what that just means is your important players are, are there all season, like your quarterback, uh, like your leaders on defense, like your best playmakers on offense. Uh, we still don't know if Kamara will be suspended or not, but let's just say he is and he gets like two to four games. You know, he comes back, that's still majority of the season. And you also brought back Mark Ingram last year, so you still have him, knows the system very well. The current coach that they have now was on the coaching staff under Sean Payton, so you're not going to change up the style too much there. You'll see a lot of similarities with this team last year that you saw, that you will see this year. The reason why they're my dark horse, they're like my Bengals pick, if, if you will, for this season coming up, is because if you can get the same type of quarterback play that Jameis Winston was able to provide last year, which was not a, more of a game manager, he didn't have to do too much, therefore it wasn't out there throwing throw 30 picks like he did the last time he started in uh, Tampa Bay before Brady came. Um, if he can play as well as he did last year and possibly improve just a bit on that, you have Mike Thomas coming back. You just drafted, uh, was it? Chris Olave. Uh, Chris Olave. Okay, I couldn't remember which Ohio State receiver. I was going to say Garrett Wilson for a second, but you just drafted Chris Olave. And again, we mentioned we have Kamara and Ingram in the backfield along with one of the best defenses in the league. That, my friend, to me is a recipe for success. Two things. I would not be surprised if they won the division this year. 
And I would also not be surprised if they go deep into the playoffs this year. When I say deep, I do mean the conference championship game. Um, not going to bank on it, but that is my dark horse coming into the season this year. Um, Schedule-wise, um, I guess I can kind of go over this really, or mention this too really quick where I find that they rank uh, is eighth overall, which, again, take that with a grain of salt, of course. But, you know, they, they lump right in there with some of the better, the harder schedules in the league. And partially part of this, man, with these schedules are partially due to the conference that they play or the division, I'm sorry, that they play in, which is why you see – four or excuse me five out of the top four teams or excuse me uh three out of the top five teams are all out of the nfc west that had the hardest schedule because three of those teams were in the playoffs last year at the nfc west so um that's just kind of what you get and that's the way it's going to be so uh, just before we move into the afc i just want to kind of point that out going into the afc clark i've asked a couple people this question i've waited until this show to ask you man it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's a loaded question. If you had to pick today, knowing what you know now, teams as currently constructed and say they will be healthy week one or healthy whenever we, we, we claim them to be healthy, who is your seven playoff teams out of the AFC? Out of the AFC? Out of the AFC, yes. Who is your seven playoff teams you don't have to give me division winners obviously you need one from every division but seven teams total um i won't do this with the nfc just because i feel like after so long where we you know you might run out of great teams because i think we saw that last year kind of capped at like the five six mark uh, but who are, who are we looking at top seven you go first and i'll give you mine after yeah it's gonna be tough because you have the afc west facing the nfc west this year so there's going to be some really good games back and forth, which could lead to potentially multiple teams out of the AFC West making it, as well as multiple teams out of the NFC West making it, or maybe a lot less than what we thought. But uh, as for teams to make the playoffs, out of the NFC East, I think the Bills are going to win that division. The Patriots are very, very close. They're getting closer and closer. They're not quite there yet. I got the Bills moving on. Um as for the AFC South, uh, the, the step back with the Titans and the controversy that may happen, depending on what the fans allow, they're already pushing, some of the fans are actually pushing for Malik Willis to start week one, which is ridiculous. But um, we've seen this before, where you have the incoming rookie that everyone's excited about, and you just traded away your best receiver. It wouldn't shock me that a couple of bad losses that chatter is going to get louder and louder. So I will tick, I will uh, go ahead and pick the Colts to win that division. I think Matt Ryan will give them just enough to win. It's not like I'm worried about the Jags or the Texans. So I got the Colts going there. Um, in the N or AFC North, this is a much more competitive uh, group. According to Vegas odds, they actually have the Browns that have the best odds in that division, which is kind of insane at this point. Um, but for me, I think the Bengals pulled out. They are hungry. They know what it's like to lose. Granted, I could be making a big mistake in making this pick because we know what the Super Bowl curse is all about. If you lose, you're likely going to have a really bad season. And the other stat of the last, I think it's the last 16 quarterbacks to start the, to lose in a Super Bowl that started the Super Bowl never made it back. 
I, I'd have to double check that stat, but I remember seeing that somewhere, and Joe Burrow was obviously the newest one added to that list. But I will pick the Bengals right now. I think their offensive line vastly improved over the offseason. Uh, they will be the winner coming out of that. And then the dreaded AFC West. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I would hate to go against Patrick Mahomes, but beyond Travis Kelsey, who's he throwing to? Um, my pick at this point... <laughs> Man, this one's tough. I'm going to go with the Broncos, and here's why. I'm kind of leaning between them and the Chargers. I think the Chargers, their court, their head coach, what he loves to do is go for it on fourth down. So if you're in fantasy football... Please do not pick the Chargers kicker. Please do yourself a favor. The headache. Do not make the picker or make the kicker a teammate of yours in fantasy football. Just don't do it. They go for it on fourth down much more than any other team, and their head coach will not stop. And I think that's where we're going to get them in trouble a little bit more this season. Could pan out, but I think the Broncos are going to win that one close. Um, so right now I've got the Bills, Broncos, Colts, and the Bengals as your division winners. Um, and then the other three teams, I'm going to have the Chargers be that close team that gets in. So that's team number five. Um, I'm also going to have the Ravens make it into the playoffs. They will be the second team out of the AFC North. Um, and then the last team that gets in... I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say uh, it is the Titans that gets in. I think two teams from the AFC South get in. I know I just mentioned that there could be a huge controversy at quarterback, but they still have a healthy King Henry that played decently well coming back into the playoffs after his injury. The team is designed to run the football. They really don't need a great passing game. It helps, yes, but then you add Robert Woods that is a possession receiver. Traylon Burks they got in the draft. They could potentially, with a good defense, just like they did last year without King Henry, make the playoffs. I think they can do it again this year. Fletch, tell me where I went wrong. Oh, man. I don't think there's a wrong. I, I truly don't believe there's a wrong answer, Clark. I'd be real with you. Like I'd love to debate this all day and long. I could probably argue with you for hours on it, but... I don't think I think in this case with the AFC and the state of it currently, there's really no wrong or right. Um, I, I guess I, I guess to differ uh, and to counter, I would give you mine um, to kind of before 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 we get into this. I just want to preface this, man, with those seven teams that you chose. I just want to tell the people at home who was left out. The the Browns were left out. Uh, the Raiders playoff team from last year left out the Chiefs left out um the patriots left out the dolphins left out i mentioned these teams because all these teams either had a winning record last year or the year before and in the browns case they might have actually improved slightly from the year before when they did win 10 games and go and get and played kansas city in the playoffs and played them tight so nonetheless We'll get into my seven, man. Uh, we'll start it off with the division champs here, of course, just to kind of, you know, set the, set the stage for, you know, the the, first, the top four teams. I'm actually going to go ahead and start with the AFC South, which I think is probably the weakest division um, in the AFC right now, um, even though it's actually, I wouldn't say terrible. It's, it's actually okay. It's decent, if you, if you will. 
Um, I, I actually am agreeing with you on the Colts this year. I think the defense is pretty good. Uh, they didn't really lose anything, anybody really much on defense. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is another year better is what I'm expecting. Young back, I'm not expecting. You know, running backs, we always see injuries eventually. Sometimes we see them early. Sometimes we see them late. With Jonathan Taylor, I think you see, with him only in his third year, I think you see a good healthy season. They still have some good backups there as well. Uh, just in case you need to, you know, sit him out for a couple games, he has like a nagging injury, or if he just needs a couple spell, like some some uh, uh, have somebody come in for a few drives. You have that this year, Spence. They got to upgrade at quarterback, in my opinion, from Carson Wentz up to Matt Ryan. Michael Pittman bursted out as somewhat of a star last year, um, and I expect his numbers to go up slightly as well with Matt Ryan under center. So I do think that this team, who was one win away from making the playoffs last year. Um, and end up losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars of all team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think they will, uh, you know, get over the hump, and I think they'll barely beat out Tennessee for that division. Um, as far as moving on to the next division, man, I'm going to go to the AFC East. I think it is the Buffalo Bills. I don't think it's that close. I think there are some good teams, including the Dolphins and Pats in that division. Again, we talked about the Jets a little bit being one of that, those young teams that I think will be very well coached and is going to play hard this year. They just don't have enough. So I'm going to go with the Bills on that one. Um, I actually have the Bills having the best record in the AFC coming up this year. Uh, That's just how I feel about it. Uh, AFC, oh, I don't want to touch the West yet, I'll be honest with you. Let's go AFC North. AFC North, I'm going to surprise some people here. I actually have the Baltimore Ravens coming out of the AFC North this year. I think last year was a product of injury um, between the games that Lamar Jackson missed, going down and having to roll with you know, like a third, fourth, fifth string running back, bring guys in, and you just had, a, you know, the, the kind of a cluster at running back there with a lot of either old or unproven guys. You get J.K. Dobbins back this year, uh, which is going to be a huge help. Um, as far as receivers go, I'm not sure exactly other than ba- let's say think Rashad Bateman's going to take a step or maybe they have somebody in the works like grabbing an Odell Beckham or an Antonio Brown. I really don't know what's in the works for them as far as receivers goes, but – well, who I do trust is Lamar Jackson. I think there's a lot to be made of, you know, his winning percentage. And I hate the the scrutiny that he faced last year uh, when essentially they really didn't have many running backs to throw the ball to nor receivers. And it's kind of like, you know, and he and he was hurt. Uh, his backfield was hurt. So I would love to see what they do this year. And let's be real, man. Baltimore is never a bad coach team. They're always going to put a a a good product on the field at all times. And I do think that there is going to be somewhat of a Super Bowl hangover. And I do have the Baltimore Ravens bouncing back to win that division. That's three. And we're going to move over to my, to, to my division, the vaunted AFC West, man. I appreciate you picking the Packers, Clark. I mean, the Broncos, Clark. I really do. I really appreciate it. I don't know if I'm there. I really don't. Um, I'm going to pick the Chargers, actually, to win this division. Reason being, again, they were another team that was one game out last year and lost on the last game of the season to go home, in a sense. I do think they've gotten better. I think they're probably just kind of very similar to the Bills. They might be the most balanced team, top to bottom. Uh, they're they're decent in the trenches. They got Bosa on the defensive side as a pass rusher. Uh, I believe they have, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the offensive tackle last name Slater, who I know is very good. It was a rookie either last year or the year prior. Um, also, too, you have a lot of guys in that secondary that can make plays. 
on offense, you still have Keenan Allen. You still have Austin Eckler. You still have Mike Williams. You just drafted another running back. The backup running back that you had last year played pretty well in spots. And, of course, you have Justin Herbert, who was poised to take another step into being, you know, a possibly great quarterback in this league. Man, it's, it's the only thing about that team is they do choke a lot and they go for it on fourth down a lot. I don't know how many losses that equates to, but I think they do win enough games to win the division. And I think they actually might have the best record against the division um, versus the other teams in the division, which is why I'm also choosing them. Uh, so right now we have the Chargers, the Ravens, the Colts. Um, who am I missing here that I just chose as well? Um, the Bills. Gosh, the Bills. The Bills. Yes, sir. Outside of that, I think the remaining teams are going to be the Bengals, the Broncos. Man, and I tell you, man, I'm torn, but I'm gonna go with the uh, I'm gonna go with the Chiefs. I think they. I, I just feel. I just. I, it's hard for me to count Pat Mahomes out, <laughs> and that's the that's really what it boils down to, man. I think they somehow find a way to get into the playoffs. I don't know how. And I'll keep it real with you. I really don't. I don't trust the backfield. I don't trust the receivers. The offensive line, I just don't know. Uh, the defense, they lost Matthew. You know what? I just talked myself out of it. Give me the Browns um, <laughs> to make the division I, and to make the, to make the playoffs. And it, it was crazy, Clark, is that we mentioned these teams. I mean, the leftover teams that I put in here, man, the Broncos, the Browns, and the uh, – and the uh, huh just lost them again the Bengals I mean again we're still talking about the we, we still the Raiders man I don't know why I just don't feel enough confidence in them to put them into the playoffs when they made it last year and all you did was add Devontae Adams and that's kind of crazy to think right but the AFC is just that loaded that I think you still have the Titans you still have the Dolphins you still have the Pats you still have the Raiders you still have the uh the, the Steelers possibly um I mean, there's so many teams. I think we could possibly see, like, this come down to the end of the season where just like this year, it comes down to, like, you know, the, the 11th, 12th team out in the AFC still might have a shot. And it really depends on how much they beat up on the NFC and how much they beat up on these weaker teams. Now, if they just kind of nag at each other a little bit, we might see the cream rise to the might rise to the top. But that's that's just something to kind of keep our eye out on for, man. And don't be surprised, folks, if the entire AFC West makes the playoffs. Because if you're looking at it, on paper, the Broncos adding Russell Wilson to a team that they already had should make that step. The Chargers got better in the offseason, and they missed the playoffs by one game. The Raiders got better than last season, and again, lost in the first round to the AFC champs in a close game. And then the Chiefs are in the playoffs ever since Pat Mahomes has taken over as quarterback. So let's not let's don't be surprised if that happens. And also, don't be surprised if the entire AFC North gets in. It's one of those years, Clark, where we're we're we we're either going to see a lot of great football out the AFC North, or we're going to be wrong about a lot of stuff in the AFC, or excuse me, the AFC in general, or we're going to be wrong about a lot of stuff in the AFC. Yeah, there's just so many good teams that are just stacked and have to face one another, and also face good teams in the NFC this year. So there could be a lot of, there could be a couple teams that kind of emerge as the top teams, and then just that cluster of teams in the middle that 
just can't seem to get out of each, out of each other's way, which can easily lead to multiple teams out of a single division making it uh, to the playoffs. And speaking of playoffs, just a little tidbit for anybody that plays fantasy football or just likes to watch regular football, the dreaded bi-week apocalypse, bi-week 14. You have the Falcons, Bears, Packers, Colts, Saints, and Commanders all have a bye in week 14. And for those of you that play fantasy football, it is a week heading into the playoffs. This is a week that you may need to win. And having the number one overall seed and picking JT may not pan out if you need that week. You will not have him in week 14. Interesting. So it is very, very interesting. The last little tidbit that I have about this year's schedule is the Texans uh, are facing a league-high three teams that are coming off of a bye this year, uh, which is not ideal for them. So the other teams are well-rested, and they are not. Um, For teams that are not facing anyone coming off a bye this year, that includes the Bills, Lions, Broncos, Buccaneers, Chiefs, Bears, and Commanders, all teams that just don't get a little bit of a break this year and happen to coming off of a bye and facing someone. So we will see, again, a lot of things can happen in this offseason. We still have to go through OTAs. We still have to go through even the preseason games could potentially change a lot of things. A lot to unpack. But again, when you look at the schedule, there's a lot of very good potential games. But as we all know in the NFL, Week four, week five, your team could have a bunch of injuries and then they go away. Mm-hmm. Or that team that you didn't think was going to be good ends up being really, really good this year. So I feel uh, like there's one of those every year, Clark. Yes, there, there absolutely is. And again, it could be one of those teams that maybe not in a tough division or is in a tough division and then just gets lucky and gets key wins at the right time. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up here today? Um, yeah, man, you kind of kind of alluded already into it. Just really quick, where fantasy football goes, man. Uh, one thing I will say is uh, pay attention to the injuries and don't draft too early. Uh, Clark, I know you're uh, commissioner in, in some leagues. I'm commissioner in a couple as well. And one thing that I really pride myself on is having the draft as late as possible. Uh, I like to wait until the preseason is completely over. I actually like to wait until all the practices uh, before week one uh, are over as well. Uh, Specifically, I love the draft on Saturday night before the Thursday night game, uh, just to make sure that, you know, who we are drafting is probably going to play barring a week one practice injury, which I don't know how often that really happens. Typically, it's always sometime during training camp or preseason, but just keep an eye out on any upcoming injuries, uh, any setbacks, any guys that are coming back off injury, where they land, uh, when they're projected to come back. Uh, also take that with a grain of salt. For instance, Mike Thomas was supposed to come back at some freaking point last year and never did. Uh, same thing with Calvin Ridley. He actually didn't even get hurt and somehow got in trouble, but he won't play again this year. So, you know, th- th- those are some things just to keep an eye out on. Uh, moving forward for fantasy and overall man this is going to be a great season something that we can enjoy hopefully you see a lot of teams uh, you know really just take another step Uh, maybe the NFC could uh, right their ways a little bit and not be the ugly ugly stepchild of the AFC as they are right now 
because uh, it just seems like the AFC is just completely loaded, man. And whoever comes out of that, <laughs> more power to you, just to, just to say the least. So, uh, but outside of that, man, that is all we got, man. Clark, I'll let you take the take uh, wrap this thing up. Anything else for the people before we do so? Uh, I think we covered it pretty well. If you have any type of uh, comments on exactly who we think, at least very very early on who our final seven teams of each division are. Simply just put it in the comments or reach out to Fletch directly on Twitter and let him know that I am correct. Um, that would be generous and fine. Um, but as for now, uh, not much else. We'll keep an eye on the sports world, and we'll be back next week with some more fun topics. But as for now, my name is Clark Heron, a.k.a. the Harry Hobo. That's Fletch, and we're out of here. Peace.